0: If you've tried that and it hasn't worked and you're convinced that divorce is what you have to have, then I would talk to several attorneys and see who you feel most comfortable with, who you think will be able to be your best partner through the process.
1: Take a girl
2: and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian, and this is Couples Synergy.
1: And welcome back to another episode of Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray.
2: And I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please
1: check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Couples Synergy. And please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years.
2: You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of.
1: With the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Margaret Zuliger. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. She is an attorney. Uh, She does both litigation and collaborative divorce. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Thank you for having me. So we want to definitely get into, you know, your your area of expertise and kind of why you wanted to go into that field. But before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, How old are you? What do you like to do on your downtime?
0: I'm 56 years old. Uh, I'm an empty nester. So I spend a lot of my time gardening and landscaping. I essentially spend most all weekends outside digging, hauling dirt, building raised beds, tending my plants. And this past um, winter, I took a master seed starting class, an online class um, through Growing a Greener World. I'm a little bit of a Joel Lample uh, groupie, he's this guy who, you know, ha- has a show on, on 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 a PBS station, and I just, I you know, I, I like everything he does, and so I took his seed starting class, and so this year I started a bunch of seeds in February, you know, tomatoes and eggplant and different things, and so I've planted them all out, and I'm a little obsessed with gardening on my downtime.
1: That's <laughs> awesome.
0: You know, I
2: also love to garden, yeah, and we just moved totally. from Illinois to a desert. Oh, it's so really interesting. Yeah, very. Yeah. different. Climate. So more sage and uh, cactus, and but well, we have some maple trees and some. We have beautiful mm-hmm. roses, but right. it's very different. I'm trying smell. to figure it out. It's dry here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, love it though. That's that's awesome. How yeah. did you get into becoming a lawyer? Um. Well, I'd like to say it's because I wanted
0: to help people, but honestly, I was I didn't realize that that's what I would be doing. Um, I was like 15 years old, and I was in Wisconsin. I lived in Wisconsin at that. Um, like I grew up in I grew up in Wisconsin, then California. But I was in Wisconsin, and I was on a lake with my dad and his cousin, and and just you know family. And the, and one of and his cousin, he was this young guy, and he had a house and a boat, and he seemed like he had such a like a fun lifestyle. I'm like, what do you do? He said, I'm a lawyer. I'm like, oh okay, I'll be a lawyer. And it and then I just never. I never just changed my mind. So it's um and when I went to law school, though I thought I would want to be international, like do you know international stuff because I, you know, I, I I lived in France and Italy also, and I just, I was interested in that kind of thing. But then when I got into law school, I seemed to have more of a skill for litigation. And so, I, you know, people would tell me, oh, you're good in litigation, this and that. Um, but my first job out of law school was employment discrimination, actually, sexual harassment, so plaintiff side. And I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, I felt I was fighting you know, the good fight on that end. Um, And I did that for four years. And then, um, and then I had my first daughter and I didn't go back into, I didn't go back to practicing law for 12 years um, until I got divorced. And so that's how, and I had another daughter and I I did have a real estate company in there, but I was mostly, you know, mostly home with my daughters and I really loved that. Um, But when I got divorced, I realized I had to go back. And you know, I had to go back to work full time. And so when I asked my marriage counselor for a divorce lawyer recommendation, because I didn't know any divorce lawyers, um, he said, have you heard about collaborative divorce? And I said, no. And he said, well, why don't you check that out? And so I, I looked into it and I decided that I would like to use the collaborative divorce method. And I decided I would go into family law, get trained, and you know, basically help people through what I was going through. And that's what I've done ever since. Um and that so that was in two thousand and I took the training in two thousand and but two thousand and eight. I've been family law exclusively. so our field, I do, and I do the enjoy way. helping people,
2: yeah, yeah. our field is kind of the same way where when you go to school and people don't really realize this, you just get all the overview generic kind of thing. There's not specialties in our field right. or your field, but
1: right. then when
2: you start practicing, then you mm-hmm. can specialize in something and, you know, we decided to specialize in working with couples because, you know, we came from unhealthy relationships. We were passionate about our relationship and we absolutely hated the way the field worked with couples. Mm. How did you decide like really to do family law?
0: Uh,
2: Well, basically,
0: because I, I really had to choose a new, I had to decide what area I was going to go back to law in. So when I go back to employment discrimination, which I really did like, but that's very, it's very intense. And I, and I knew I was going to be a single mom of girls, nine and 12 at the time. And I said, I can't, you know, I was living in Schomburg, I can't go downtown and have the kind of work life I used to have. I can't have, I can't do, you know, trials and just depositions. I had to be more regular, more, you know, nine to five so that I was available for the girls. And so I just said that, that I can't go back into that. So what else could I do? And I just, I thought, well, okay, family lies. I said, I, you know, I'm sure I could get the hang of it. I'll work for somebody else at least for a while and learn it. And so I just, I just thought of something I could do and something that I knew about and could probably be passionate about. And, and it turned out to be true.
1: Did your uh, experience going through collaborative divorce influence you know your desire to do collaborative divorce as an attorney?
0: Yes, because I was I actually went through it all at the same time. I was literally starting to take the training as I was going through my own divorce. Mm. So, I was kind of doing what I was learning at the same time and um the, my experience of the collaborative divorce me personally reinforced that I that I that I did want to do it because it was very amicable in part because he was already checked out. I mean, so that's kind of a problem. It was was easy because he was already gone emotionally. He wasn't trying, you know, he wasn't trying to slow it down. And so, but we only had two meetings, two full, you know, full meetings, came up with all their agreements. And it was just a really um, calm and um, inexpensive way to dissolve um a marriage and it and we didn't it didn't make it worse you know often you know litigation can make the the relationship even worse you know things aren't wonderful since you're having a divorce anyway but sometimes the process of litigation depending on the attorneys you get can make things even worse and the collaborative process did not do that so i thought that was really great very and so i just you know it worked for me and so i know it can work and um, you know i try to let other people know of the
2: option yeah, can you describe the, the options? Because I don't think a lot of people know those terms. Collaborative so in a, litigation. Yes.
0: So in a collaborative divorce, both partners have their own attorney and we meet for a series of settlement agreements, settlement meetings until we work out all of our agreements in writing. And only then do we file the petition and get a court date to finalize. So the whole process is taking place outside of court. Um, and at the And at the very beginning of the process, we sign a participation agreement, which makes it a collaborative case. And the participation agreement has a disqualification provision for the attorneys, which means that if anybody basically jumps the gun and goes to court before we're all agreed, then the collaborative process stops and the the attorneys are disqualified from ever becoming the litigators in the case. Mm -hmm. And so that keeps the the attorneys, the, the collaborative attorneys, keeps their litigation personalities out of the room. There's no threatening because we can't see what the judge says. The whole case would fall apart if we filed in court. So it's it we' we're, we're only problem solvers. We're helping find solution. I mean, we're advising our clients and everybody knows what the law is, what the formulas are for support and things like that. So it's not like an it's it's, it's not an unknown what would happen in court, but we're but we're not the ones that would ever litigate it, you know, argue about it. Um, and so and, and in in an addition, And so it's it's an out of court process, Uh, except by agreement, you could file sooner just to kind of stop the maintenance clock, because in Illinois, the duration of maintenance stops, the the calculation stops um, at the date of filing of the petition. So if you have a case that, you know, it's going to be a maintenance case and somebody's the person who would be paying maintenance, formerly known as alimony in Illinois, um, if they're nervous that that the maintenance is going to be longer because the process is going to take longer and if something falls apart, then something, sometimes by agreement, we will file the petition just to stop that maintenance clock. But we can we can basically ask the judge to not call us back for status um, appearances it, One the first time we're called. We can say this is a collaborative case and there's a new Illinois Supreme Court rule that actually has, has sanctioned all of this now. And so we can ask to be put on the collab- collaborative corner, calendar so that we don't have any court appearances. Um, so that's, so it, it's, so it's out of, out of court settlement only. And, um, that, that, that's the process as opposed to litigation, where the case starts with somebody filing the petition for dissolution of marriage, then you're in court and, uh, you know, depending on the County, several months later, you're going to have your first court appearance. And then after that, you're going to be in court basically once a month, or the attorney is going to be once a month. The first time you're up, the judge will just say, so, you know, do we have, do we have children, you know? do you have an allocation judgment together which is the new the new term for a used to be called a joint parenting agreement or a joint custody agreement but there's actually no such thing as custody in Illinois anymore it's just parenting time and decision making there's no word custody in the in this in the statute anymore so in 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 a litigated case you appear the first time and the judge doesn't know anything and it's not you're not there to Really talk about the details of the case the judge will just want to know that you're both there you're working on things and then he or she will say fine see you next month and then you're basically in court on a monthly basis telling the judge either that you're working on it or that you're having problems in which case you file motions for this or that or the other thing um and it's just kind of a i think it's kind of a wasteful use of the client's money as opposed to collaborative you know like i i, I like when i was going through my divorce i was happy to pay my attorney for actually being in a meeting you know for an hour to working, working on the case, as opposed to just appearing in court and not really advancing the case, but, but you have to appear. So that that's one difference in litigation. Also in litigation, you never talk to the attorneys. Never. I never even usually see my, my, my client's spouse because it's all just through attorneys. And so when there's negotiation back and forth, I'm hearing through, through the other attorney or letter that, you know, that, you know, that their client wants X, Y, and Z. But I don't really ever understand why. And I don't really honestly care that much because I'm not, I I never meet them. I'm not focused on their needs. I'm only concerned with what my client is telling me, what what they want, as opposed to the collaborative where everybody, the the, the spouses in the very first meeting, they, we we give them, we we give them an opportunity to express what's important to them. What are their needs? What are their interests? What are their goals? What are their concerns? And so we hear both parties, what, what they hope to get through about, you know, through the process and their immediate post-divorce life. And then we can all kind of help them as much as possible, help them come up with their agreements to meet everybody's needs. In a litigation case, I will never hear one word from the heart of what my client's spouse wants or what's important to them. And so I I don't, I'm not part of a solution in that sense. So that seems a little bit unfortunate, you know.
1: Now now you practice in the state of Illinois. Do you know if the other states in the country have a collaborative process.
0: Yes, I think almost all of the states have, I mean, all, all I think almost certainly have collaborative practice groups and they're doing it. I don't know if all of the states, I think only maybe, um, I don't remember exactly. I did hear recently how many states had actual statutes that identified and the collaborative process as a method, like an alternative dispute resolution method, that's you know approved by this by that Supreme Court. Um, but I, I so I, I I know it's in like twenty five different countries, and I think it's in, in almost all states. Um, whether it's in the statutes or not, is there's a little bit of a, a delay. Even in Illinois, I think it was only several years ago where we got our Collaborative Practice Act. Um, you Can know, you talk feel, about even, even though we've been doing it for like since two thousand, you know, at least two thousand in Illinois.
2: Can you talk about the term mediation and what's a mediator and what do they do and how does that impact either types of divorce? Sure. So mediation is
0: where you have a third, a neutral third party, the mediator, meet with the couple to help them come up with their agreements. Um, And they're, they're neutral, so they can't give advice to either party. And even if they're attorneys, they can't give advice, um, because they're neutral. So they can't, so if some person, if one of the parties is starting to agree to something that that mediator, if even if they're an attorney knows a judge would never order, they can't say, what are you thinking? A judge would never order that. You know, they can't do that. It's really just kind of coming up with their agreements. Um, and I mean, i mediation friendly. I think it's, I think it's a, it's better than litigation certainly. Um, but the thing is with mediation, you don't get done. Um, if it's successful, the mediator will draft a memorandum of understanding with all the financial details, all of the child related details, but you still need to take all those agreements and turn them into the final documents that actually get submitted to the court. So the marital settlement agree- agreement has the financial information and support and asset and debt division. Allocation has the dis- the parenting time and the decision making. Those are the documents you need to actually get divorced. So. So I, I I don't actually do mediation myself. I just do collaboration and litigation. And also where if somebody retains me and their spouse is just unrepresented. But so I do work with me post-mediation. People will come to me after they've completed mediation with their memorandum of understanding. I'll read it from my client's perspective. And if there's anything in there that I think, that I think a judge would never order, I say, okay, listen, it looks like in your mediation, you agreed to X, Y, and Z, but a judge would never order that. Do you still want to do that? And they might say, no, I thought I had to, and no, I don't, in which case I have to talk, you know, then we have to, go, they have to go back to the table, or yes, I understand, and I want to do it. Okay, great. Then I draft the documents, you know, just basically pulling out all the um, details. So mediation is 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 a good alternative, but it doesn't get you done, it doesn't get you divorced.
2: So it isn't part of either of those other two processes? No, Okay. No.
0: Is there okay. any. Um, well, uh, let, let me take that back. You can yeah. have you, you can be in a litigation case and you can agree to go into attorney assisted mediation where you would you would retain the parties would retain a mediator and the mediator would kind of help them get unstuck from where they were. If the attorneys weren't really successful and get them done like, well, try attorney assisted mediation. Sometimes that means the attorneys will actually be in the room while the mediation is going on, and then you kind of do little breakout rooms to talk about things. Sometimes the attorney is not involved, you just send them to the mediator, see if they can work it out. Um, so that, that, is, that that's how mediation can be used in litigation. Also in Illinois, if you don't have an agreement on parenting, um, pretty soon in the case, the, the, the judge will send the parents to mediation on parenting only. Um, it's a mandatory, in all the counties, it's mandatory mediation on parenting. So they have to go, I think you have to try like twice, you know, two two sessions. And again, if it works, great. Then then one of the attorneys drafts the allocation judgment based on whatever agreements. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, there, is, there is a new thing in Cook County where the judge can send you to financial mediation, but it's, it's fairly new and it's not, I don't think it's really used that much in my
2: experience. Is um, there... Yeah. Um... Sometimes, you know, when we're working with a couple and they're heading toward divorce, it seems like they've been educated in a way that I don't know is accurate about you, like, you have to wait six months or you have to get a mediator or you have to do this. Is there any standard thing that the law requires you to do? Right. Um, In
0: Illinois, you do have to say that you've been living separate and apart within the meeting of the act for six months prior to the divorce, the day of the divorce, when the judge actually signs the judgment. But that doesn't mean that you're physically separated. It just means you haven't been living as a couple, husband and wife, you haven't been intimate, you haven't been um, doing things that husbands and wives do. It's something that's hard to prove and disprove. Um, And it really only serves to be a slight delay if for some reason the couple have come together with their agreements quickly, but one person then at the very end says, well, no, we haven't been separated apart for six months. Okay, fine, you know, then wait two months and t- you know that then then you then the judge will say, okay, well, when did somebody file a petition? Okay, come back in two months. Like so it's 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 it can be used possibly as a delay tactic, but it's it's really just something that is said that's not really tested. But that is Illinois. I know that other states, I believe Virginia, for example, you do have to be living separate under separate in separate residences for six mm-hmm. months before the divorce mm-hmm. is final, but not in Illinois.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Um, and then the mediation. There, yes, there is mandatory mediation on parenting that the judge can order the couple to if it appears that they're not going to be able to come up with their own agreements relatively quickly.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, what is the average cost of divorce currently that you that you know?
0: Well, that really de- you know, I hate to say it, but it really depends. It depends yeah. on the couple, and conflict is expensive.
1: So the more
0: conflict, the longer it's going take, and the more expensive it is. But I would say on average, maybe if 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 it's a not a high conflict case and everybody's pretty much doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, maybe like five, six thousand dollars on each side would be an average but it can be it can be less than that it can be way more than that it just depends on how quickly you come up with your agreements and how much conflict there is um the, and and part of that fee is the, the filing fees and the filing fees are the same whether it's an attorney filing or a pro se pro se is self represented people so the filing fee to the to the clerk of whatever county you're filing in it's the exact same and so it's you know between between the you know between the petitioner and the respondent you know, it's usually around six hundred dollars combined. And so that that comes out of the retainer
1: um, as well. What is the most costly divorce that you've seen? Oh, I've
0: heard of like nine hundred thousand dollars, like almost a million dollars. Yes. I haven't had something that's quite that expensive, but I had one that was pretty, you know, it was pretty bad for my client, but it went on for two and a half years. I think, you know, it was, it was one of these terrible high conflict cases that actually kind of made me say, I don't want to take high conflict cases anymore. It was just, it was draining for everybody. And these poor kids, you know, they had four kids and, you know, like they spent all their money in litigation. You know, I said, is that, is know, that
2: typically because someone's hurt?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, you know, usually kind of like personality disorders and mental health challenges that make people just really unable to let go and move on Mm -hmm. and they 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 want their desire to hurt their spouse is so strong that they'll do it even if it hurts them too
1: Mm -hmm. yeah Uh,
0: and you know i've had people people actually yeah yeah right
1: one of my clients who i was seeing individually actually he crossed over the million dollar mark yeah divorce, Mm -hmm. and yeah it was like three four years it was being dragged yes
0: yep but even yeah, so but even people say there's nothing to fight about. It will be easy to me. Just just because there's nothing to fight about objectively doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You know, yeah. I remember I had one case where it was a six month marriage. It took nine months to get divorced because they were fighting over the gift cards. Yeah. They literally were spending more in attorneys' fees than the subject of their disagreements. Wow.
2: Yeah, gift cards. <laughs> That's really tough. Are you able to tell when you first interview a person if? they are appropriate for collaborative or not.
0: I really try because I don't want to have a failed collaborative case. Cause I think it is so good in almost every situation that I just, I want, I want people to, to, to use it. And then I want the word to spread that collaborative is, is a great alternative. So I, tr- I really, really try. Um, but if they sound too litigious, you know, like if they were, if they use words like, you know, like, you know, I want to punish them because you know, that it's, it's all their fault. And you know, I, I'm, I, I, I don't want them to get anything. And just like those ex- kind of extreme statements. Well, first of all, then I'm probably going to refer them to somebody else because I don't want to be involved in that collaborative or litigation. So the more extreme somebody is is saying, you know, like, or is speaking about their desire to hurt their partner, then that's, that's a big red flag for me. Um, if they, if they think that their partner is going to you know, they say they're going to hide things. They're never going to be transparent. Well, that's also not that. That's not great for collaborative. Although it's there's, it's not like in litigation, things are transparent either. You know, you can lie in you can lie in both situations, and you fill out your financial affidavit. You know, your disclosures. You can lie and there's there's no easy way to find out if somebody's lying. There's not a central database where I can plug in somebody's social security number and see like all of the accounts that they have. So if they're willing to lie in litigation, they're or in collaborative, they might be willing to you know, they'll be li- willing to lie in, in litigation as well. It's just in collaborative, we don't ever serve subpoenas, you know, on banks to get statements. If anybody wants anything, they get it. That's another okay. one of the the, the, the foundations of collaborative. It's full transparency. And if anybody wants anything, they get it. There's no saying, no, you, you're not entitled to that or you can't look at that. It's full transparency.
2: We've had uh, some couples that the person who actually wants the divorce um, wants to be kind about it and they want to do collaborative, but their partner really doesn't. But they'll go through that whole process and not sign at the end and then have to shift to new attorneys and go through litigation. And that seems to me what took so long. Those are the real long ones that we know about. Yeah. How do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, again, you try to screen for that. Um, and we really signed that participation agreement in the very first meeting. So, but they might, but so somebody who goes through the process and then just, they can pull the plug. They can, I've had this happen where somebody just, it was actually my client, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, they got an attorney and filed the petition. In the middle of the collaborative case we all found out at the same time that they'd filed a petition again not transparent not you know not acting in good faith i wouldn't say and yeah. i don't know how to avoid that other than just try to try to screen you know collaborative isn't appropriate for everybody and and those of us who love it so much we have to not we, we can't be blinded by our you know belief that collaborative is so good that it's you know that it's necessarily good for every couple it's it's not. If somebody's not willing to be acting good faith and be transparent, it's not going to be good. Um, sometimes people think they're doing it, you know, somebody, some, sometimes people will agree to do it because they think it's, you know, cheap. You know, it is cheaper than litigation, but cheaper than high conflict litigation, but it's not inexpensive. Um, also because so like at the minimum, you have two attorneys, two clients, but you can also have and ideally you would also have a coach, a mental health professional who's involved in the process. Who meets with the parties both individually and together and is also in the meetings to help help the discussion along and help any like maybe outbursts that that take place, um, help somebody who has t- traditionally been silent in the in the relationship speak up, find their voice in the pro- in the process, which all helps coming together of the agreements. Um, but that is not a professional that you pay. But I think it's I think it's money well spent because I think it usually if it's necessary it probably takes away the need for more attorney meetings if the meetings I can that we do have are more productive because of the coach's presence and the work that the coach does with each party outside the meeting um, they should check in and say how you're feeling about the next meeting coming up and you know. Do you think there are going to be hot, any, any hot button issues that I should know about? So if you know if if so and so says X, are you going to be triggered? And how can I help you manage that if this, if it comes up? Um, so that that's really helpful. Um, and and we can also have in the collaborative team a financial neutral, and this is really helpful if you have a more complicated uh, marital estate. Assets or debts or businesses, things like that. And so, the financial neutral, they're the gathering source. All the, the couple works with the financial neutral to to do the the affidavits and all the document. Um, production and the financial the financial neutral drafts the balance sheet and shows different scenarios as opposed to the attorneys doing that. If there's no financial neutral, then the attorneys will do that job. But really, the financial neutral, and they're always like either a CPA or there's different designations that you have to have to be a financial neutral, but they're really the best qualified to do those um, kinds of analyses. Um, so, but that's another person you pay. But again, it's, it's still better than high conflict litigation sure. where- In that situation, you might have one X, you know, you might have like the battle of the experts. Say you have a business valuation. Well, if one person, if one side gets a a business valuation, the other side is two. So that's, you know, 10, 15,000 at least per business evaluation. And then the the judge will usually split the difference. So it's a big waste of money um, as opposed to just having one neutral do, you know, do the business valuation. And the parties, you know, basically say, well, we'll accept whatever that neutral comes up with and we're not going to, we're not going to argue
2: about it.
1: I think that mental health piece is is pretty crucial because when you're talking about the cost of divorce, there's also the emotional cost. Yes, right. Even if a couple is has decided mutually that they're going to part ways, there's still a normal grief and loss process that they have to go through. Right. And we have found that you know, in in also in working with couples to help transform their marriage, we've also helped couples go through divorce transition.
2: And mm-hmm. we found
1: that when we help couples go through that divorce transition, their divorce process is much shorter and, mm-hmm. and, and less damaging and less damaging, yeah. especially when kids are involved Helping mm-hmm. right? them, deal with that, you know, transition now to a co-parenting relationship. You know? Right.
2: Yeah. We call it a brutal transformation. I mean, it's, you, you can't cut anything cleanly. It's like breaking a cake. You know, it's never going <laughs> to be the nice this is the line, and and whatever there's feelings involved, there's uh, your your financial well being is involved, the uh, health of your children is involved. It's a really really big thing to go through, and we've helped. Mm-hmm. And the families that have really stayed with us through that process, they mm-hmm. wind up being better co parents long term, mm-hmm. definitely. And you know, we usually tell people if you don't have a collaborative marriage, you are not going to have a collaborative divorce. And then they get them to think like that. Like if you if you're collaborative, if you guys are good at decision making, you probably are a good candidate for collaborative. Right. If not, if if your marriage has been, you know,
1: fighting and battles, conflict. And conflict. Then. Yeah. hmm
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: The best collaborative cases are when it if, if you have children, then both both parties really the, the child they put the children's interests first and they try to act consistently with in the children's best interest. So if they're arguing about something and it's impacting the children, they they're more likely to stop and say, "Wait a second. This is, you know, how is this benefiting the children? It's not. Like how 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 is this helping us be co-parents after the divorce? It's not." Okay, so let's let's not go down that road and let's pivot and and find a way to resolve whatever it is we're trying to resolve in a way that does the least amount of emotional damage to to
2: the children, you know, and and the parents, of course. All right, I'm going to ask you this question very carefully. Okay. <laughs> you always get nervous when I say that. <laughs> so in your field, how, what are some things that the consumer should be careful of where maybe the lawyer has their own best interest or the judge or the system and it kind of drags this couple through? Because we've seen couples have to actually fire their attorneys and get new ones because the attorneys are revving things up so much that it they become aware that they're just pawns in this game i think that some
0: attorneys they they
2: promise things
0: in the initial consultation to get the client that they know is not realistic so they set on they 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 create unrealistic expectations in their clients and then they go through the motions of trying to get it even though they know that's not going to work and so that just leads to disappointment and frustration and, and it's unethical, you know, like don't, don't promise things that you, that you can't get that you're And, 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 and because conflict is expensive, trying to get unrealistic things is very expensive, filing motions and having hearings. And then, you know, then you don't get what you should have known, probably did know you weren't going to get in the first place. And then but you're like, Oh, that's kind of blame it on the judge. That's, that is, that's really bad. So, you know, I th- I, th- I think, promising you know like I, th- I think if somebody's going to hire an attorney they should interview several attorneys and be wary of the one attorney that like promises all sorts of things and when the other attorneys are like well you know that's not realistic or you know like like I try to be as honest as as, as I, I as, as I can in terms of what I really think is realistic because I don't want my client to be disappointed in me when they don't get what they but they think they should get. And there is a lot of you know, a lot of people think that they can get things that they really can't, but some attorneys won't tell them that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I I think that's it. And and also I think people clients need to understand that they are they are the principal that the, the the attorney is the agent. So the principal directs the agent what to do. Some sometimes people kind of let their attorneys just control everything, but it's not the attorney's decision, it's the client's decision. The attorney can recommend path a b and c but it's the client who should be deciding that and not and not just blindly agree with what the attorney is suggesting um and file you know just again filing motions that don't really have any realistic chance of success or filing motions motions instead of trying to get an agreement trying to just work out something that's realistic talk to their side don't just automatically file a motion don't just automatically you know and, and like also, I think sometimes like all the discovery that some 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 attorneys do discovery, take depositions and serve interrogatories asking for three years of this and that when there's no for no reason, you know, that's, it's just like an, an it's something that takes a lot of time. And I think some attorneys do do that.
1: So I'd be wary of that. Yeah, it. we've seen that. Yeah, it just inflates the cost. Yeah. We Definitely. saw that
2: there was a couple and they hadn't been married long and she was filing. He could have cared less. And she was the breadwinner and she's the one that hired and it was a collaborative attorney. I don't even know if he was even represented, to be honest with you. And her attorney made her go through all this discovery, almost to the point where she was going to end up paying him maintenance when he was willing to just walk away. Just whatever I got sign. Yeah, that was that that's a difficult situation. Um, what should the consumer look for when they're doing their initial consultation? What does that look like? How do they find an attorney? what does what a consultation cost?
1: And is there a difference between the large firms versus you know just a, a one or two person firm? Mm. Oh,
0: well, okay, so i I guess again i would I would suggest that people meet with several attorneys okay. and really go with their gut. Any number, you know, most attorneys can bring you through the process. So the question is, who do you want with you during the process? Who do you feel most comfortable with? Who do you think you'll have the best communication with? And choose some, you know, and, and have that be one of your decision-making um, deciding factors. Um, you know, big firms, I mean, big firms tend to be more expensive because they do all sorts of stuff, which doesn't really actually help the the client. So, you know I, I don't think i don't think you necessarily get better service with big firms but some but some people feel more comfortable with a big firm but then that's you know big firms just are also known more for papering the other side serving dis- you know full discovery when there's no real basis you know for it um also in the big firm you know you might meet with you know the partner but you, you'll never speak to that person again the partner will assign the case to some associate and that's the person that you're really dealing with but that's not really the person that you chose now if things get really complicated the partner will come in and you know deal with any kind of crisis that comes up but that's not really the person that you think you're hiring i think that's one of the problems um and they're just usually more expensive because they have higher rent <laughs> downtown versus in the suburbs someplace um
2: so, I'm yeah, we, just... s- we saw someone who uh, first they went through collaborative and he, he refused to sign at the end. And then he hired the big firm just, just to mess with her. And then she, yeah. she got dragged. That was a very long, sad, sad. Yeah. Um, so. How does the initial meeting with an attorney? what does that look like? How does that work?
0: Okay, yeah, so initial consultation. So some attorneys charge, some don't. I don't because it's just an opportunity to meet a person and see if we're a good team together. Not every attorney is going to be good for every client. But most attorneys, um you know have initial consultation. You usually fill out some kind of intake form um that has basic information, um occupa- you know occupation for both parties the number of children, something about assets and debts, income, just so the attorney has some large overview of what, what the the marital estate might be. Um, and then you just kind of take, you know, I always ask people what's, you know, I have your intake form and thank you very much, you know, so what's brought you to me and how, how can, how can I maybe help? And then every, case, you know, everybody's different. So they, you know, people tend to talk about what's, you know, they're most concerned about. So sometimes I can lay fears right at the beginning. Other times I say, yeah, that is a concern that will be an issue. Um, and this is what you can possibly do about it, but you know, I try to be as realistic as possible. Um, and it's, but it's just like an an opportunity to talk and see if you feel comfortable, if you're being listened to, um, most people do ask, you know, how much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? So I, I say, it depends. I give him some parameters. I said, but it really depends. And, and, and the more you can work out on your own, the the better for you. On the other hand, if you're, if your spouse doesn't want to talk to you about these things, don't press them. This is not going to be helpful. I have that case too, just I have a new case now. And he keeps saying, she won't talk to me. I'm like her attorney saying, don't talk. I said, that's because we're, <laughs> we just got started. And if she doesn't want to talk to you, then don't try to talk to her. It's not going to be productive. Um, most attorneys will run um, tentative uh, support numbers. We all have so- we all have this you know software that we use so I can plug in you know your income, his income, her income, number of children. Um, of course, the number of overnights impacts child support so you have to make some assumptions you know what do you think the parenting schedule is going to be because child support is one thing if it's 50 50 for example, and it's something else if it's not. Mm-hmm. and so you have to have that discussion so, they're they're aware that there's, you know, child support's impacted by the number of overnights. Um, But usually attorney can kind of run numbers. So you have some idea that can be disappointing for some people to hear uh, because, and and some people also think that, um, you know, the the father has to keep the mother in the house with the children, which is not the case. Um, So there's a lot of misconceptions that you have to kind of educate the client about
1: so from your perspective how has divorce changed since covid like what are what are some of the trends that you're seeing and what how has the process changed as well
0: well the process has changed because it's all remote (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh including all my collaborative cases have been only remote during the during the pandemic and i don't know if it's even going to change um at first and, and, and for, okay. So when, when in March of 2020, everything came to a screeching halt, you know, all the court dates just like dropped out of the calendar for a couple months. There was nothing going on, but then since then it's been busier. So, I mean, I, I think that the pandemic has been good for divorce lawyers because it's been hard on families, um, being together all the time. I think strained marriages, have a lot of them have broken under COVID, which maybe wouldn't have broken uh, without the the stress of all being together and you know that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's 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 the the, the divorces. I, I haven't seen the statistics, but just from my own personal observation and my and my colleagues, we've been it's been it's it's been a busier time hmm. during during the pandemic.
2: How many couples? Uh, do you think file for divorce but then end up taking that back and making it work?
0: Not many. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a few cases where, yeah, they did reconcile and we withdrew the petition, but not many. But I think that's because most people don't really even contact an attorney until they've been really thinking about it for a long time. It's a hard decision. Um, So the person who wants the divorce is very unlikely to change their mind because they've kind of already gone through a lot of the process the grieving process um which is why also like often when you start a divorce one person is you know ready to be done because they've really already they've been processing the other person has been unaware of the problem or just in denial and so they're totally shocked so it's kind of like i kind of have people you know picture like like a um like a track, like like a like a track, and one person's like almost to the finish line, and the other person has just been like pushed onto the track, saying "run," and and they're and they want to say "no, stop, slow down." So you really have to wait for the second person to catch up because it, it's usually pretty lopsided. Usually one person, and so because the person who you usually eventually starts the process, they've been thinking about it for a long time, and are in my experience unlikely to go back. But I don't, but I don't know. I mean, I have, I have, I have more consultations than I have clients. And so sometimes if I have a consultation, I don't, you know, I don't hear from them again. And so maybe they reconcile. They just don't know. So I only know that people who actually retain and actually file that is, they don't
2: turn their, they don't turn around very often. There was a couple you sent us and they're still together. That's Okay. Kind of I thought about that. Yeah.
0: Well, I do. I always ask, you know, like in my initial consultation on my intake, form, you know, you know, are you seeing a therapist? Would you like a recommendation? More often than not, people say, "No, I don't. I've we already tried, or I'm done." But if I can, if you know, but sometimes if they do say, "Okay, yeah, I would like to try." So, okay, great. Well, then try that. And and if I don't hear from them, okay, well, that's good to know. So
2: good, good. good. I think when we first met you, you're. I think you recommended that it would be a good idea for if. Both people were willing to come to the consultation together, so both people could be educated, understand the process, even though you wouldn't represent both of them. Do you still recommend that?
0: Yes, to to learn about the collaborative process. Yes. So I offer a and just an initial informational session only. So I don't even I, I don't even want an intake form. I don't want to know anything about their situation because i don't want to conflict myself out of helping either of them but that's an excellent way to have both parties learn at the same time what the process options are and and so they can see what what is what what would work for both of them which is usually the collaborative process if they understand the collaborative process most people will choose that versus litigation but if they don't but if they don't hear about it at the same time that's where it's hard for the second party to say okay I hear, I you know, I hear what you're saying, and okay. So yes, it'd be great if people, if couples, would do a consultation together. But but the attorney has to be really careful to not conflict themselves out.
2: And do you have any resources for maybe even your own resources of where someone could get that information, even without meeting you?
0: Yes. Well, my website um, zulligerlaw.com has a, a section on collaborative. And links to both the Collaborative Divorce Illinois Group, which is the Illinois group, and the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, which is the international group. And so i have I have links on my web page about both of those. And that's a great way to find out from a very objective, neutral source what what collaborative is all about.
1: I think that's a great resource, especially mm-hmm. for all of our listeners out there across the world. You know, to be able to look up the international resources. That would be yes, good. and we'll put that link in the show notes as well.
0: Perfect. Yeah, yeah, internet. Yeah, there, there are, like I said, I think twenty four countries in the world that have collaborative processes as an option in their divorce.
2: And where are you able to practice law? Just Illinois.
0: I mean, anywhere I'm in so.
2: Illinois. Yeah. Okay. Technically, so it's but not I, by no. county.
0: No. No, I I'm in uh, you know in Cook and all the collar counties, but I don't I don't go down south or anything like that. It just it wouldn't. But if it's know. virtual, well, that's true. Mm. I haven't had yeah. I guess I haven't really been approached for a a virtual you know down in some southern county, but yeah, my
2: license is good throughout Illinois. That's yeah. an interesting thing that happened for us with COVID. Is the state the state lines were erased and we could help people anywhere because it was a shortage. So if someone's in Iowa and they want to do virtual work with us, we can still bill insurance, which is interesting. Nice, Yeah. So that's a change. Okay. It hasn't gone back yet. It's part of the CARES Act.
1: Yeah. There's, there's certain states that kind of gone back and then it's, it's kind of right now still being debated and tossed around.
0: Hmm. I think it's a great idea because there's a, it seems to be a shortage of mental health professionals So that's a great idea to expand people's access by not being limited to the state
2: that they live in. And what would you like to say to someone who is considering divorce? Well, first try marriage counseling.
0: See, see if you can fix it. You know, Before I take you down the path of dissolving your marriage, see if there is not a way you can keep it together for yourselves, for your children, if you have them. Um, so that'd be the first thing. Um, and if if you've tried that and it hasn't worked and you're convinced that divorce is what you have to have, then I would, I would talk to several attorneys and see who we feel most comfortable with, who
2: you think will be able to be your best partner through the process. And, you know, one thing I'd just like to end with is, you know, and reiterating what you said is trust yourself when you're working with an attorney. Mm -hmm. And if, if you don't have a good feeling And you keep going against that. It's just going to cost you a lot more money. So make sure you're working with someone you feel good about. Right. Yeah. Listen to your gut, not maybe
0: your Greek chorus. You know, a lot of people put a lot of fear in people. You know, you got to get a barracuda, protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not a great way to start the process, you know, fear-based and not paying attention to who, who, how you feel about the attorney that you're
2: actually talking to. And in the end, whatever's legal usually wins out. Not just attacking people or going after. Well, I I was also
1: going to say, I mean, if you have kids together, keep in mind, you still have to have a relationship with this person and it has to be. Absolutely.
0: Yep. Yeah. You want to, you don't want to, you know, the saddest thing would be to go through a divorce and just be so negative and angry and hurt that you can't even be in the same room anymore. So, so your children are faced with, oh my gosh, who's, who can we invite to graduation or the wedding or you know, oh, yeah. the, mm-hmm. this ceremony or that ceremony, because everybody knows that the mom and dad can't be in the room together. That's terrible. Yeah, but that's some, some I people get that. so, yeah, they get so
2: negative and just stay there. And then it really affects everybody's life. which is yeah, We always say divorce doesn't happen in a courtroom. It happens in your heart. And some people are divorced before they're legally divorced, and some people are right. married long after they're legally divorced. Right?
0: Yeah, that's that. Right. I remember you saying that in one of the podcasts, mm-hmm. and I and I remember, yeah. There's um. So I, I read about a concept, negative intimacy. I think it was from um. It's called The Good Divorce by Constance Ahrens. Mm-hmm. and she took and she talks about negative intim- intimacy, meaning you know, like if you can't have positive intimacy, then somebody will. Okay, if I can't take that, I'll at least take negative intimacy, and that's that ongoing negativity and the inability to like peacefully let it go and move on. Staying connected, staying divorced or staying married in your, in your, in your heart, in a negative way.
1: Well, Marguerite, we want to thank you for being on our podcast today. We're definitely going to put your uh, links to your website and also the international a collaborative uh, resource on on this podcast episode Mm -hmm. perfect
0: thank you very much and thank you for the work that you guys do
1: thank you we want to thank all of you for joining us today on couple synergy our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships and this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you our listeners for all of you listening please let us know how you enjoy the show if you have any questions comments or topic suggestions Please email us at contact at synergy.com For more information about couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Home Study Course, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com.
2: And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening.
1: Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love.